welcome to 312. It is Earth Month, and we are coming to you from Earth itself for the entirety of this episode. Uh, to kick us off here, we are speaking with Jackie Baxley, EHSNS practice leader here at HRP. Jackie, how are you enjoying your stay on Earth so far? You know, I'm pretty comfortable. I've had my stay here on Earth for, I'll just say, north of 40 years, and um, I'm pretty mm. comfortable. Don't think I'm going to be trying out any other planets anytime soon. Yeah. When I think of those other planets in the solar system, it's just really hard to imagine I'd enjoy them as much as I've enjoyed my time here on Earth. Well, you know, being a redhead, there's no way I'm getting closer to the sun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with <laughs> you there. <laughs> so to talk about the connection between Earth Month Earth Day. Now, what's going on here at HRP? Jackie is going to tell us a little bit about how HRP Forward connects to the environmental themes of Earth Day. And Jackie, would you be able to give us a, just a very brief overview of what HRP Forward is? Of course. And thanks, Tom. So HRP Forward is HRP's sustainability program. Um, it is to ensure that HRP is here to help you move your environment forward for another 40 years plus. And so with HRP Forward, we look at HRP's contribution and impact relative to environmental, social, and you know, business and economics and, and governance issues. So um, one of the things about HRP Forward is here at HRP, we try to have a forward moment before each internal meeting. And that forward moment can really be anything under that broad umbrella of sustainability. Uh, but each month we have themes just to, to kind of get the juices flowing um, in, in case folks don't have something that immediately comes to mind for a forward moment. But of course, folks can always go off script and just talk about anything that's near and dear to their heart. You know, whether it's, it's health and safety related, whether it's wellness related, could be related to an environmental topic. It could be related to an internal procedure or policy. Um, you know, it could be about a, a philanthropic organization that is near and dear to their heart. So um, our theme to kind of keep people's, uh, you know, ideas flowing for the month of April are environmental topics in recognition of, of Earth Month. Um, so this month, we're encouraging everybody within HRP relative to their forward moments to think about and share big and small ways that um, either HRP or an individual here associated with HRP is having positive impacts on, on the environment. Um, this can be anything from from sharing kind of cool projects that we're, we're working on. You know, here at HRP, we do um, a lot of remediation and cleanup, which that is obviously having a positive impact mm -hmm. on the environment. Um, we're helping our clients with environmental compliance, whether that's securing an air permit, whether that's helping troubleshoot a wastewater treatment issue. Um, so in our day-to-day -day activities, we're always you know, helping to move the environment forward. But sometimes we just kind of get so buried into actually what's the task, what are we doing? We don't pause and, and actually kind of give ourselves credit um, for some of the positive impacts that, that, that we have in our day-to-day. -day. So not only are we looking at what we do as a company for our clients, but also what might we be doing at home? Those small things that add up to big impact. Yeah, and on this episode, we're going to be talking to uh, just a handful of the folks here at HRP who are doing those things, living that forward moment, and kind of hear about their experience. Um, and Jackie, I guess let's start off this journey through a sustainable earth with yourself and your family and what you folks do. Right. So um, 
you know, I, I think we have joked about my frugalness more than once on these podcasts. <laughs> Everybody knows that, that Jackie is frugal. The wonderful thing about um, thinking about sustainability in your own home, um, those normally also relate to cost savings. So um, I'll share two things that are sustainability related that we do in the Baxley household that also happen to be money saving issues as well. So mm. sustainable from a financial standpoint as well as a uh, environmental standpoint. Love it. So first we'll start inside the home. Um, inside the home, uh, we only wash our clothes in cold water. And mm. that might sound like it's small, like it's a minor thing, um, but it, it was a bit of a paradigm shift. You know, I don't have to wash my, my sheets in hot water, you know, mm -hmm. with the, the advancements in uh, detergents and you can buy the detergents that, you know, you can use in cold water. You get the exact same, you know, cleaning power, so to speak, at those colder temperatures. That saves on energy in, uh, from, from heating that, that water. Um, so, so I've actually seen a difference in our electric bill and, and going straight to cold water with our, with our laundry. Um, so that's something that we've done inside. It saves energy, again, in heating that, that water. And with the technology these days, I don't know if technology is the right word, but the product formulation these days with detergents, um, you can use those detergents in cold water. You don't need the hot water. Mm. Awesome. All right. So now outdoors. So that was yes. our indoor tip. My outdoor tip. Um, I love working in the yard. I call it dirt therapy. Uh, to me, there, there's there's no better combination of instant gratification and delayed gratification than than working in the yard, um, digging in the dirt. Um, so one thing that that I've been doing um, in my yard over the last couple of years is um, I no longer buy mulch or pine straw relative to the beds um, within you know my yard and, and, mm -hmm. and garden. Um, instead, I mulch the leaves that fall in my yard and I use the leaf mulch instead of having to go to the garden center, pick up a few bags of mulch or, or go to actually my favorite garden center where I can get a scoop of mulch in the back of my truck. Um, so that's less transportation from, you know, those facilities that are grinding the mulch and taking it to your garden stores. And that's less transportation from you going there and bringing it back as well. Um, but then also it's, it's cheaper. Yeah, <laughs> I got yeah. lots of trees and lots of leaves. So um, I've got a, a plentiful resource of, of mulching my own leaves. Mm -hmm. um, and I have a, a, a battery operated lawnmower that has the, the collection bag on it. So that's what I do. I go over the leaves with my lawnmower, collect them in the bags, and then I spread them out around my azaleas and hostas and oak leaf hydrangeas and, and everything else I got in the yard. Mm -hmm. You know, there's this whole uh, like wild lawn movement where people are like saying, don't don't manicure your lawn or anything. Let it grow naturally and wildly and let the the flora and fauna that belong there kind of retake that space. And it's just so much better for the environment. So if anybody asks me why I'm not mowing my lawn, why I'm just letting it go. It's like, well, it's, it's, I'm just being sustainable. You know, I'm thinking you about go. the environment here. There, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Maybe you can kind of get what, uh, when I was in industry, uh, there was a program called Wait Wildlife and Industry Together. So maybe you can get like a little certification for your lawn, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Stick a little sign in the front being like, it's supposed to look like this. <laughs> Just throw some wildflower seeds out there and then you'll get some pops of color and, oh, and yeah. nobody will complain. <laughs> Absolutely. 
<laughs> All right, Jackie, thank you so much for talking with us. Yeah, thank you. All right, folks, we will now go to some of our other guests, starting with Alicia Washington. Okay, folks, we are here with Alicia Washington. And Alicia, it is Earth Month. We're talking about HRP Forward. We're talking about sustainability that we see both in the company and in folks' personal lives who work here. Um, And you had a really interesting experiment that you did with some pretty cool results. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, sure. So, um, well... A couple of years ago, I watched a documentary. I feel like these stories always start this way. Mm-hmm. But it's it really, you know, documentaries are cool. Um, so my husband and I watched a documentary called uh, The Game Changers. Um, and we watched another one called What the Health. But um, The Game Changers is a documentary about uh, veganism within the athletic world, like athletes using veganism or, you know, basically not eating any animal products to help with faster recovery. Um, And, you know, the document, the documentary was about how, I mean, these are like pro athletes, like Olympians, um, boxers, uh, uh, world weightlifters, uh, MMA fighters, like all just a slew of different um, athletes. And, um, you know, changing their diet to a vegan diet was life-changing and Mm -hmm. they noticed there was just these great results from it but then the documentary really went into like the science behind like why you know um eating vegan helps your body Mm -hmm. and so um the other thing that they talked about though was how eating vegan also affects the planet yeah and affects the earth and stuff and that was a part that i had I mean, I really didn't know much about veganism at all Mm -hmm. before watching the documentary. Uh, But um, after watching it, you know, my husband and I were like, okay, well, let's just try it for two weeks. Like, don't eat anything from an animal. Yeah. Um, It was much easier for my husband because he already doesn't eat dairy or eggs. Mm -hmm. So all he had to cut out was meat. Yeah. Um, I, on the other hand, had to cut out everything. Um, but for two weeks, we didn't do it. And it just lasted like nine months. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I couldn't believe I was walking around uncomfortable for so many years and like just not realizing how uncomfortable I, I was. Yeah, It was so normal. And, and after like starting, you know, eating that that way, I realized, wow, I didn't have to feel like that. I didn't huh? realize that, <laughs> you know, so. Um, but part of the documentary, which was really interesting, was when they talked about how the um, livestock sector affects the earth yeah. in so many ways. And it actually produces 15 percent of the world's admi- or the country's emissions, mm-hmm. um, greenhouse gas emissions. Yeah. Um, and that's more than like all the trucks and trains and it's 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 all the other like greenhouse emissions mm-hmm. that come from that, that happen in the country. It's more than that. Yeah, just yeah. from the livestock sector. Mm-hmm. Um, and like w- the 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 fact that like water isn't even making it to the ocean anymore. There's rivers that are completely dried out. Mm-hmm. I just could not believe like what an impact, you know, um, eating vegan can have on the uh, the positive impact of eating vegan can have on the on the world yeah yeah so it absolutely. was really cool 
Yeah, agricultural practices are a huge part of sustainability. And, you know, people out there will be like, oh, well, you know, there's still problems with transportation of stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's like it doesn't compare to the impact that like the factory farm system has on the environment and on our bodies. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I, I started like having, you know, people, um, close to me or friends of friends, family members who have been diagnosed with cancer, all different kinds of cancer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you look at these individuals, they're all different. They come from all different backgrounds, different places in the country. And I I used to wonder, like, what is, there's got to be a common denominator here. Why are so many people getting sick? Mm-hmm. And it's the food. Yeah. It's the food that we eat. Like, so aside from all this other data that shows, like, it's, it's not good to eat mm-hmm. animal products. Um, that, to me, there's so much access to unhealthy food. And, you know, a lot of people even say that, you know, it's food is a drug. And when you think about how these foods are processed and all these foods that, yes, they taste so good, they are addicting. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I recently saw a reel where a woman was talking about how think about how you feel like when you're feeling down or depressed or whatever it is. And when you eat something or you want to eat something that makes you feel better. And it really does just even for a moment, it makes you feel better. And like you take that same thought process and feeling with a drug or mm-hmm. any kind of drug, um, it's like the same thing. So for me, you know, we did this two years ago. We lasted nine months. I really wanted some chicken wings. Yeah, so I was like, yeah. okay, it's time. Um, and I got back into eating meat again, but I will say I don't eat it as much anymore. Mm-hmm. We don't do milk anymore. We do actually. It's a brand called Not Milk. It literally tastes the same. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, we really just started to make better choices, and I think like even going vegan, even if you do it for like two weeks or a month, you start to realize that there's other options out there that are good. Mm-hmm. Like we actually didn't. We didn't do tofu. Like we didn't. We didn't do any of that other stuff. Like. Um, well, Titus would never let you hear the end of it. <laughs> I know, right? Right? Um, like the Beyond Meat, actually, uh-huh. I'm not a huge fan of. But like, you know, yeah, it's just, there's a weird it's, taste there. It's not there. quite there. Yeah. Yeah. There's and there's something. so many imitation versions of it that yeah. are just, oof. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of brands out there that make things like using soy and stuff like that. We actually didn't even do that. Like we didn't need to. Yeah. You know, we ate pasta. Um, we ate a lot of vegetables, a lot of fruit, um, mm-hmm. rice, you know, beans. So a lot of the stuff we were already eating, um, we use cauliflower in a lot of different ways. That's for sure. I learned a lot of new yeah, recipes yeah. of cauliflower. Um, we found some cool restaurants that are vegan and stuff. So um, we really didn't, you know, try any of the other kind of because there's a lot of stigma around like, oh, the food is so unhealthy. It's it's processed like vegan food is worse than other food mm. because, you know, depending on if it's like, you know, a bag of chips or crack, like some yeah, of that stuff is yeah. processed just like anything else, though. It's processed. Mm-hmm. So you can eat pretty healthy, you know, if you just stick to the stuff that comes from the ground. Definitely. Really, that's that's what it is. So. Yeah. Yeah, it was a really great experience, and I'm really happy that I did it and that my husband did it, too, because we just make better choices now. Like, we have more options, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. it was great. And and from a sustainability perspective, you don't have to go, like, all in on it, That's too, right. you know? You can have meat every once in a while yep. at a level that less, like, is sustainable for the environment. Absolutely. Yeah, like, yeah. they say that, too. Like, 
even with uh they were taught there's some crazy numbers like 2.4 million liters of waters and like one hamburger or something mm-hmm. crazy like that and it's right like if you just choose to eat meat once or twice a week versus every day or even if you just take a look at your menu like your regular the regular way you eat every week and you look like wow you know what i don't even eat animal products as much as i thought i did yeah you know and you could be like oh, okay cool well i'm just gonna take one more day out yeah just making small adjustments or even if you are like a meat eater just trying something else like mm-hmm. it, it's not to say that you can't eat a hamburger right after because the nope. thing was disgusting <laughs> but just try like just try different yeah. foods yeah. you know and then you may find that like for instance i go to wood and tap with friends and i go there often i live near a few we go there for lunch there's one down the street from here right mm-hmm. um and before i would always get like wings or their nachos or something they have an amazing veggie wrap Mm. Oh, it is <laughs> amazing. And I get it every time now. Mm-hmm. It's completely vegan. It's delicious. And that's what I get now. So will I have pizza later that day? Maybe. Mm-hmm. But yep. <laughs> I'm going to get the wrap when I go there. So I just think just being more open to trying new things is going to help. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I guess to wrap up, do you have a quick, easy, favorite vegan recipe that you could share with us oh man i have a few yeah um again with the cauliflower you know um there's so many different ways to to use that um one of the the things that i do most often is i just take cauliflower and i actually season it like i would season my chicken Mm -hmm. so and that goes for like anyone who likes their chicken seasoned a certain way but i use a bunch of different seasonings i use a lot of spanish goya seasonings And I actually put it in the frying pan and I just light it kind of with some olive oil and I let it get a little warm because cauliflower will get soft pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, But I let it get a little soft and then I actually will put it in like a a dredging. So I'll put it in like the non-dairy milk and I'll put some um, rice flour on it Mm. and then I fry it. Mm. So I make like wings. Mm -hmm. So, but doing it that way actually helps it move a little quicker because if you do it that way from the start, then sometimes you have to wait a little longer for the cauliflower to get soft. Yeah. Um, But when I do that and you pour some hot sauce on it, or you can use it in a taco and pour some like, you know, vegan cilantro sauce on there, Mm -hmm. avocado sauce, there's also um, a pasta that I make with cashew. I like creamy pastas. Yeah, I'm yeah. like a more than the red sauce. Mm-hmm. So um, you take some cashews, you put it in water for like 10 minutes. You pour that in a blender with some um, uh, roasted peppers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then you kind of make this like pink sauce and then you pour it over your pasta. Mm-hmm. It's delicious. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. So there's, again, like... I'm, it's not tofu. It's not some weird looking <laughs> yeah. meat kind of thing. You know, you could just take stuff that already exists and there's great recipes out there. There's great websites. Yeah. So those are my two go to's that are pretty easy that I use. Awesome. Well, Alicia, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. This was fun. Go vegan. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Carly. Hello. Hi, Tom. Happy Earth Month. Happy Earth Month, Tom. Uh, Earth Day month. Yes. <laughs> and what are you here to talk to us about? Today? I'm here today to talk a little bit about composting. Nice. Okay. So, yeah, I was trying to brainstorm some 
some fun things, some fun ways that we could help our planet a little bit in this Earth Month. Um, and composting is something that I've been doing for a couple years. Um, and I think it's a really great, relatively easy way to make a difference. I feel like it's kind of hard sometimes like with climate change to feel like it's very out of your control. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's not much you can do about it. Like it's a very literally a very global problem. Yeah. So for the individual, it can be kind of overwhelming if you're trying to make some differences in your life. Um, but composting is fun and easy. And I feel like it's perfect for springtime. If you want to start a compost bin, now's the time to do so. Now's the time, folks. Yes. So I want to talk a little bit about why composting is so important and um, what you can do if you want to start your own compost bin. So it all started for me. I read this book a few years ago. It's called Drawdown, the most comprehensive plan ever proposed to reverse global warming. Basically, it's this book put together by scientists and researchers, and it's edited by a man named Paul Hawken. Um, And basically, they map out the 100 most impactful climate solutions, and they rank them in order of most impactful. Great book. Highly recommend it. In this book, some of the top drivers of climate change are top solutions. I thought that I thought that reducing food waste was number one. Turns out I looked it up. It's number three. Mm -hmm. But the top solutions, in case you're wondering, number one is eliminating the use of refrigerants. Number two is um, increasing the use of onshore wind power. Number three is reducing food waste. So one and two are a little tough to do to incorporate into your personal life, Mm -hmm. reducing your use of refrigerants and increasing the use of wind power. I don't know if there's much we could do there. <laughs> but reducing food waste is something that everybody can do in their daily lives. So I thought that was very, very interesting. Um, basically, a ton of energy and resources goes into agriculture and growing our food. The production of fertilizer is one of the most energy-intensive processes on the planet. I just looked it up, and I think it's like three a total of 3% of total carbon emissions come just from producing fertilizers. So that's not even, you know... The amount of carbon that's going into growing our food, that's just producing fertilizers. Mm. So fertilizers are very, very carbon intensive. Agriculture uses a lot of fresh water and then a ton of energy to harvest all the food and to transport it. Mm-hmm. Um, so a ton, a ton, a ton of energy goes into making our food. And then us, especially in America, we tend to be over consumers. And so we go to the grocery store a lot of times with like great hopes in our mind of, oh, I'll buy lots and lots of vegetables and I'll Uh eat all of them. And then you don't. (laughs) You buy a bag of salad that rots in your fridge. Every time. And then you throw it away. So Mm -hmm. you're wasting all this energy. Um, So obviously, like, you know, the number one way to reduce food waste is to not buy food that you're not going to eat. But if you do find that happening or, you know, just from cooking, you're going to end up with a lot of food scraps. So a great way to use up all these food scraps is to compost. That's why I love composting. <laughs> it's very, very important. So what is so you are essentially creating fertilizer through the process? Exactly. Right. So okay. composting is basically making use of aerobic decomposition mm-hmm. um, rather than the food scraps going to a landfill, getting buried under a bunch of trash, and then going through anaerobic decomposition, which through that process, makes greenhouse gases, methane and carbon dioxide. Mm. By decomposing this food using bacteria and worms that use oxygen, you are reducing 
the production of greenhouse gases. Okay. So even if you don't use the fertilizer for anything, yeah. you're still helping exactly. by putting through this process. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, so then, yeah, you're reducing your greenhouse gas emissions. But then on top of that, you now have all this usable, nutrient-rich soil mm-hmm. that you can use on your lawn or in garden beds or in house plants and even if you don't have a lawn or if you don't garden, mm-hmm. I'm sure you have a friend or a neighbor who does. So it's definitely very, very usable and very valuable. If you have a friend who gardens and you say, hey, I have some compost for you, they're going to freak out. So <laughs> be that person. <laughs> All right. Yes. So now into composting 101. Yes. If I have hooked you, if you are excited about composting and you want to do it for yourself, here is an easy step-by-step guide on how to get yourself started. It's really not that hard. It's very inexpensive, um, and you'll end up with a great, usable product. This also goes um, hand-in-hand with growing your own food is very good for the environment. So if if you're thinking about starting a garden even, you're going to need fertilizer to grow your plants. So it's all part of the – it's a very, very sustainable process. You can use your food scraps to grow more food. Oh, my gosh. Love it. Okay, so – Step one, you need somewhere to compost. So preferably if you have a yard, you know, you dedicate a little spot in your yard to make a compost pile. I started composting when I was in college, and what we did was, me and my roommate, we went to Walmart and we bought just a plastic, like, 20-gallon storage bin from Walmart. Super cheap. That way it wasn't like, you know, it was very contained. We weren't, we were renting, so we weren't like you know, messing up the yard with our compost. It was contained in this little plastic bin. It's very easy to move, too, because then, you know, in college you're moving. So we were able to take our compost with us to the next place. Great. They also have, like, fancy compost bins that you can buy. Like, you can buy rotating ones. Like, ones like they're like tumblers almost Mm. to, like, help aerate it. But if you don't want to invest that much, you can just buy a very simple little plastic bin from Walmart. It works great. So you need your bin. The next two ingredients to composting, sometimes they're known as the browns and the greens. So your browns are your carbon-rich materials, and your greens are your nitrogen-rich materials. So basically, you need a good ratio of the browns and the greens in order to have a good compost. The greens are what gives the compost all the nutrients, and the browns are what the bacteria feed on, and you have to have a good balance. I believe a good ratio of carbon to nitrogen rich materials is 30 to 1 30 carbon to 1 nitrogen by weight if that helps you to visualize it so you need more carbon rich materials than you do nitrogen Um, so good carbon rich materials to add to your compost are dead leaves um, sticks and twigs paper and even cardboard so paper and cardboard preferably stuff that doesn't have like inks on it. For nitrogen rich, obviously your fruit and veggie scraps. So if you're cooking dinner and you have like the tops of your carrots that'll go in there, any like, you know, fruit skins, avocado peels, anything. Make sure you take the sticker off of your produce, but any fruit and veggie scraps can go into your compost. Eggshells can go in and coffee grounds. And if you, Mm. even the paper filter that goes like in your little coffee maker Mm -hmm. can go in the compost bin too because the paper filter is a carbon rich material. So you're getting a little two for one there. Those are all good nitrogen rich materials. And coffee grounds, you can even, um, 
like I know at Rebel Dog, uh-huh. they ha- they have like used coffee grounds that you can take for free. Have you ever seen that? Yes, I have seen that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. if you need some, you know, good nitrogen-rich materials for mm-hmm. your compost, <laughs> go to Rebel Dog in Farmington and grab some coffee grounds. Things you cannot add to your compost include meat and dairy products, um, anything oily or greasy, usually cooked foods you don't want to put in there, anything salty. Things can't grow in salty soil, mm. so you don't want any salty things. But it's very easy. You put, you know, you start your bin, you put leaves in there, um, and then I would keep a little, like, can on my countertop um, to throw all my food scraps in, like, as I was cooking. And then, you know, at the end of the day or at the end of your meal, whatever, you just take that can, dump it in your compost bin outside. Super easy. Mm-hmm. And then um, the last couple things you want to do is aerate your compost so mix it around we would just take the bin and just like roll it all over the yard every which way (laughs) like you know snap it shut and just roll it around and that like aerates all the compost you want to give it some water it doesn't you don't want it to be completely dry um and this step is optional but i think it's the most fun step is adding worms to your compost little critters in there to help speed up the process it's not completely necessary um there's bacteria in the soil that would you know do the decomposition process on its own but I didn't know this, but they sell uh, worms at Walmart. So mm. on our weekly trips to, you know, grocery trips to Walmart, sometimes we would just buy a little can of worms. It's like in a little fridge by the fishing section, if you have a fishing section in your Walmart. And you can just buy worms and throw that in, and they'll be so happy. Like, you will be giving these worms the best life. <laughs> they would otherwise be bait for fishing. So if you want to throw them in your compost, like... Rescue worms. You will rescue those worms. You will make those worms stay. So those are the ingredients for compost. You will know your compost is done when it becomes darker, it dries up a little bit, and it starts smelling like dirt. Like it'll stop smelling like food scraps and like decomposing food, and it'll, it'll you'll have that real earthy dirt smell. And that's how you know that it's ready. So composting, it's... Uh, uh, varies a lot on how long it'll take for it to be done. A lot of factors, like the the temperature of the environment. If you live in like a warmer area, I think it'll be quicker. But if you live in a colder area like Connecticut, it'll usually freeze over the winter and then, you know, stop the decomposition process. So it could take anywhere from a couple weeks to like two years. But you could also have multiple compost bins rotating if you start one. And then, you you know, you can let that compost sit for, for a year or so and start a new one. <laughs> yeah, it's all good fun. So that is composting 101. Relatively easy, don't you think? Yeah, we're going to have to get it started a year. <laughs> we're going to have to start at the office, I swear. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because we do a lot of like cooking and stuff, you know? It's Sometimes true. we have a little cookouts and we we can, we can throw a bin in the back. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. All right. Well, we'll get it started. Carly, thank you so much for joining us today. Of course. Anytime. I hope everyone out there starts their own compost bin today. All right. Do it, folks. So, uh, here today with Sam Muller. Sam, can you introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Sam Muller. I'm a senior consultant here in the Greenville office and work in the geology department. Been here for about six years. So, we're talking today about Earth Day, Earth Month, HRP Forward, sustainability, and uh, one of the things I recently found out was that you bike to work like pretty much every day. That's correct. I have actually never driven to our new office here in Judson Mill. I've only ridden my bicycle here. So that's pretty sweet. Uh, what's that? What's that commute like for you each day? 
Well, I have to choose from my fleet of bicycles before I leave my house. Mm-hmm. That's probably the trickiest part of my day is which bike do I want to ride? Do I want to <laughs> go fast on my road bike? Do I want to be comfy on my big cruiser with a milk crate and put all my stuff in there? Once I've decided on the bicycle, I pull out the garage and depending on the route I take, it can be anywhere from five to 15 minutes of riding from my house to the office. Sometimes I take the long way just to have a pleasant outdoor start to my day. What was like the, the initial motivation for you? Did it come from like a fitness thing, wanting to be outside, or did it actually have like an environmental bent when you like first like decided that you were going to do that? You know, it's a multifaceted motivator here. Mm-hmm. Um, I have three different vehicles at home and they're all gas guzzlers. So mm-hmm. I try to not drive them around the city so much. Um, partially for financial reasons, not burning so much gas, but also I moved into the city center so that I wouldn't need to drive places. Mm. Very um, envious just, uh, of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just to lessen my own carbon footprint a bit and uh, stay on top of my fitness just by pedaling around everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so awesome that, that the HRP office is located so close to like everything that's going on in Greenville down there. Oh, fantastic. The new location really is. Um, The old office, I would have really been taking my life into my own hands (laughs) had I ridden my bicycle there. So Mm -hmm. I was really happy about this move. Yeah, it's really interesting how the location changed from like the old office was really in like a dense kind of like strip mall, highway, congested area. And the new one is in, it seems like such a nice like revitalized urban core area that's so much more conducive to walking and biking and all that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm. You want me to talk about what I do when it's bad weather? Oh yeah, definitely. Please. Here in Greenville, we don't, we don't really have any crazy weather extremes. Mm. You know, it gets pretty warm in the summer, but it's not miserably hot. Usually it might get up into the nineties in the winter. You know, generally doesn't get much colder than the the upper 20s, you know, and occasionally it'll rain. So when it's cold, I just wear some gloves and layers on the bike, uh, something to cover my ears so they don't get chilly, and off I go. Um, In the summertime, I try to not pedal quite as hard. I try to go easy so I don't get sweaty on the way. But Mm -hmm. if I do, there are showers here at... um, at Judson Mill I could use if I needed. Nice. And, you know, it's such a short ride here that I don't really let the rain bother me. I have a dry bag that seals up. I can put my laptop in that so it doesn't get wet. And throw a rain jacket on and off I go. Yeah, yeah, nice, nice. So I'm um so for listeners out there who are thinking, uh, maybe I should start doing that. Like, what are some of your like top tips for people or advice or just things that you've learned through doing this so much that you would tell people who are like maybe looking to start out the first time? Ooh, what's some advice? You know, just spending more time on your bicycle riding around and just getting kind of a base level of riding fitness really makes it less of a big deal to go jump on the bike and ride to work. Mm. Um, If you're out on the bike all the time, it's, certainly gets easier. Um, finding a way to 
carry your stuff on your bike rather than on your back is really helpful. Um, your back mm. is your back is kind of a big radiator for your body. And there's a lot of blood vessels in that skin close to the surface, and you can put off a lot of heat on your back. And if you have a backpack on, you can end up getting a little bit sweaty on the way. So mm-hmm. uh, the way I've dealt with this is one of my bikes, I have a rack that goes over the back wheel and a milk crate strapped to the rack, and I can put whatever I want. It'll fit on there, and off I go. My back stays free. And obviously, hydration is key. Mm-hmm. Definitely, of course. So I'll wake up in the morning. The first thing I do is have a big glass of water and just keep staying hydrated throughout the day. Makes activity a lot easier. And yeah, just a nice, comfortable bike uh, really makes a difference. And something with some, some sturdy tires. If you're going to be riding through the city, you need, mm-hmm. I mean, that's your big contact point with the ground. And in the city, you know, it can be all sorts of stuff like broken glass and screws and debris and stuff. So some nice sturdy tires really help with uh, avoiding flat tires. But I do keep a whole uh, patch kit and repair kit and all that on my bicycle just in case something goes wrong so I can fix it. Yeah, next time I'm down there, I got to like rent a bike or something. Oh, yeah. Just commute in that way. Yeah, let's do it, man. I'd love to show you the route. Oh, yeah. Please do. Yeah, I'd love to. All right. Well, I think that wraps us up here. Uh, Sam, thanks so much for joining us today. No problem. Glad to help. All right, man. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Hi, everybody. We are here with Leah Colabello. Leah, can you tell us who you are? Yes. Hi, everybody. It's so great to be on the HRP podcast. I'm a huge fan. Yeah, I'm coming to you live from San Jose Airport in California. My work is around sustainability. I have a a boutique consulting practice called Planet Purpose Solutions. We're based in Charleston, South Carolina, and we work with organizations across the United States and throughout Europe to help minimize their environmental impacts and increase their social impacts. Our organization is thrilled to be supporting HRP as it looks to conduct its first materiality assessment. Can you tell us what a materiality assessment is and how you see it connected to the goals of Earth Day, which for those out there that don't know, are to diversify, educate, and activate the environmental movement worldwide. A materiality assessment helps an organization understand what factors are most important to it as it prepares for its future. And it it surveys all of HRP's stakeholder populations, right? So there's employees, there's clients, there's vendors and suppliers, there's communities that you work within, there's conservation cause partnership organizations, government organizations, even the universities and colleges that you recruit from, and the alumni that have passed through HRP on their own journeys, right? These are all stakeholders that have had some kind of um, input into how the organization should look at its future. And so we're going to be surveying them and understanding what they care about most when they think about things like how an organization is run, how they treat their talent, how diverse their talent is, how they work to minimize the impacts the organization has on the environment through HRP's day-to-day work. Mm. Those sorts of things we're going to 
go ahead and put together with the, uh, there's a materiality assessment team at HRP that we're working with, and we are getting their feedback on a list of topics, really extensive list of topics that have to do with sustainability. And they'll help us hone that down, and then we'll get out there and start talking to your stakeholders. So the definitely important part of the conversation, Lee, is kind of like, why, why is HRP doing a materiality assessment? Well, as you and your listeners well know, HRP Associates Consulting Engineers specialize in site investigation and due diligence, helping clients identify and minimize their environmental risks. So HRP is looking to deepen its sustainability practice by conducting materiality assessment to better consolidate and communicate its sustainability philosophy goals and metrics to internal and external stakeholders. So HRP has had a very, very good journey on its sustainability program, but it's been very organic, right? And informed by Mm. external queries, internal queries, right? But this is where HRP is demonstrating leadership and just saying, how can we be better? And let's have like a, a, vision of instead of sort of being very responsive how can we be more proactive in leading in our industry around sustainability so there's a very thorough robust process that can really help hrp and its staff determine environmental impacts of the company and assess those and move towards a more sustainable and ecologically friendly future absolutely and you know it's really nice that you are considering highlighting this big step that HRP is taking in its own sustainability journey around Earth Day. So kind of, I really enjoy your podcast and I'm so glad that you thought to profile the important work that a collective group of HRP team members are embarking on. And it's it's not easy work. So this is a, it's very demonstrative of HRP's commitment to uphold all of those values that make HRP so special, as well as, and tie it into those Earth Day values, right, to diversify, educate, and activate the environment, in the environmental movement worldwide. All right. Well, thank you so much for saying so. We appreciate it. And it's been great working with you so far. Thanks so much. And now you get to be on the podcast and not just the listener. I, I know. I I don't know if I'm worthy. It's such a, <laughs> of course, of course you are. Of it's course. such an, you know, it's, it's really such an enjoyable endeavor that highlights how fantastic the culture is at HRP. Sustainability crew, welcome to the Play Hard section of 312 on this episode dedicated to Earth Month, Earth Day, and HRP Forward. Thanks all for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. And can you just real quick uh, introduce yourselves to the folks out there? I guess we'll start with Ted. Hi, my name is Ted Wall. I uh, reside in lovely Arvada, Colorado, working remotely with you guys. Been here for about a year or so, and uh, happy to help where I can. And uh, Jackie? Good morning or afternoon. It's a, it's a podcast, so who knows when people are listening to this, right? It's, but mm-hmm. it's good afternoon now. Hey, uh, Jackie Baxley. Uh, I work in the Greenville, South Carolina office, and I'm the uh, Environmental Health and Safety and Sustainability Practice Leader. Uh, we heard from Jackie earlier in the podcast. We also heard from Sam. Sam, if you want to reintroduce yourself to the folks who maybe are just joining us for the uh, Play Hard. All right. Hello again. I am Sam Muller. I'm a senior consultant here in the Greenville, South Carolina office. And last but not least, Tori. Hi, everyone. Um, My name is Tori Kessinger, and I'm from the Charleston, South Carolina office, and I'm a project consultant with HRP. 
So as everybody knows, Play Hard is kind of the, the hangout section, but we're a little themed or structured this week uh, now that we are going to be kind of talking towards the materiality assessment that you all have been working on. How has that process been thus far? Where are we at there? I can lead us off on, on that process. So, um, so HRP has embarked on its first ever materiality assessment um, to help us give a little bit more guidance and structure to our sustainability program. So, so Ted, Sammy, and, and, and Tori are all a part of the materiality team, as well as several others that just couldn't join us today. Um, but we're, we're pretty early in the process. Um, we have identified kind of the, the first pass, if you will, of our list of stakeholders. Um, and then it's those stakeholders that we'll be interviewing and be reaching out to through surveys or, or various other opportunities of communication um, to, to get their uh, input on HRP and our sustainability program and what matters to them. Um, relative to sustainability. So we've got uh, what looks like a nice weekend coming up, and we're kind of all over the country right now, up here in Connecticut. Most of you all are in South Carolina. Ted, you're in Colorado. I have that right? Yep. Okay. And uh, so what's the weekend look like for everybody? Ted, how about you? Um, I was hoping to uh, get out and get some uh, yard work done this weekend, but I think we might be getting snow. So that could be a little <laughs> bit of a deterrent. Uh, I might be able to get out and do do some work on Sunday. I were taking my pretty good sized backyard that was really good for the children and they're escaping about a third of it to do a little water savings. So that's down the, on the docket, but we just got to wait for the weather to cooperate. Mm-hmm. That's a good Earth Day message, Ted. Yeah. <laughs> Gee, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially here in Colorado because it's some weird semi-arid and we get i mean we've gotten a lot of a lot of moisture this winter but still don't saving water is a big big key around here yes yeah, sam how about you what do you got what are you up to we are loading up our truck camper and heading up into the mountains in north carolina for some some camping some mountain biking and trout fishing Ooh, nice where you go trout fishing just all uh, in some Tiny little creeks that I don't even know have a name. Is it a national park site or a state park site or it's just a side of the? Nat- it's in the Pisgah National Forest. Okay. Ah. Okay. I just want to go there when I come down to the Carolina area. It always seems like a really beautiful spot. You what can be you at the entry. Yeah, you can if you go up to Brevard, North Carolina. The entry to the park from here, if you go through Brevard, is like it's an hour or less. Yeah, from mm. from our office. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Tori? We just got done wrapping up moving the Charleston office, so I decided oh, yeah. it'd be a great time to move my apartment now. <laughs> right, that was a warm up for the the real move. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this afternoon, I'm going to get keys to my new apartment. Nice. Where where are you leaving, and where are you going to? Um. I'm leaving apartment in North Charleston and moving still in North Charleston, but a little closer to the office. So not, not too much of a move. It's like 10, 15 minutes from my current place. So mm-hmm. will you be close enough to bike to work? Not even close. No, <laughs> <laughs> I wish. 
Yeah. But the, the new office is walking distance to a lot of different restaurants, and you can see Top Golf from mm. the office. Nice. So it's very walkable once you get to the office. Cool, cool. I, I think I'm going to get some hiking in uh, this weekend for sure. I, I really want to try to uh, get back into regular hiking so that uh, I'm ready for like the backpacking trip I want to do in June. Anybody here done like a backpacking trip for like multiple days? It's been a long time for yeah. me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have, but it's mm-hmm. it's been a minute. <laughs> I've been on countless backpacking trips. I was in the Boy Scouts growing up, so we had the opportunity to go backpacking once a month, maybe. Uh, I've done everything from one-night trips to my longest trip was, I think, 12 days in Mm -hmm. New Mexico. Wow. What was that like? It was incredible. It was on the Philmont Scout Reservation, which is... I don't know, 150,000 acres or something that the Boy Scouts own in Mm -hmm. northern New Mexico and all sorts of varied climates out there. Um, Everything from desert to Ponderosa forests to high mountain peaks. Yeah, life-changing experience. Mm. What were the temperatures like? Was it like super hot or like super cold at night? It depended on the elevation you were at. The lower elevations were maybe only a mile high or so, and it was certainly hot. We were there in July, so definitely a hot. Uh, but when you get up over eight, 9,000 feet, it cooled down a lot. And there was a couple of nights where it was downright chilly. We maybe even gotten a little bit of frost. So, Sammy, have you ever done the Palmetto Trail from start to finish? I have not, no. That, that's a, a goal of my husband and I. It's kind of, since we're looking at empty nest syndrome in the next year, year and a half, that's kind of on the the potential what to do when we're empty nesters list. But um, for those listeners that aren't not familiar with what the Panamato Trail is, it is mountains to sea trail across South Carolina. Um, we would not do it as a through hike. We would do it in, in segments over over time for, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's over 300 miles, right? So that would wow. be that would be quite the push to do it in one trip. <laughs> I think we'd miss you here if you were gone that long, Jackie. <laughs> yeah. It'd be, it'd be a little be a... shorter, yeah, a little shorter than the Appalachian Trail, but uh, but yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not gonna do a three hike of that. <laughs> what were you saying, Ted? Oh, I was gonna say I would take you a couple months to get through that the little little jaunt. Mm-hmm. Getting... <laughs> I'm just looking to do like a three-day thing, do the Appalachian Trail section in Connecticut, just because it's like familiar. Um, I think it's a good way to get started on something longer. I've always wanted to do the long trail through uh, Vermont. I say always, maybe for like three or four years. Since I learned about it, I've wanted to do it. (laughs) So what's the long trail? I don't know that. That's a runs the length of uh, the state of Vermont. Okay. And it's a lot, it kind of hits most of the tallest peaks in Vermont. Which are? 
Probably not higher than I am right now. <laughs> no. no. Yeah. Yeah. I think Ted, Ted, no, Ted is no. scoffing at, at your peaks. Yeah. I know. No, I, I was trying to be nice about it. I was just kind of curious because it's not so much necessarily how high you go. It's how much of a difference you make. I mean, if you start absolutely, if you're starting at 8,000 feet and going up to, you know, the 14, that's only a 5,000 foot chunk. But if, you know, mm-hmm. you starting at zero and going up to five, then it's the same thing. Oh, yeah. Well, 4,000 feet is about the highest elevation we can right. get around here. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't really have a whole lot of room to scoff because of the, I can always forget the number, 40-some, 40 40-some, 40 14,000-foot peaks in Colorado. I think I've been on top of one. So <laughs> <laughs> that's not real good for a native did Colorado. You, did you climb there or did you drive there? Uh, you can't drive. Okay. You have to pretty much hike most of them. Some of them, okay. And some of them get pretty, pretty technical, and where you're getting, and that's where it gets a little like, ooh, that's a long ways down. So, mm-hmm. no, and there's there's a few that it's a, an all day where you have to be at the trailhead like at three or four in the morning, and you should get back if everything goes well by time it gets dark. So, yeah, I did a hike in Colorado. Uh, I was out there for a wedding a few summers ago, and we hit four different 14,000 foot peaks in one hike. And yeah, yeah, we started, like you mentioned, we started at four in the morning because, you know, that was... in the summertime in Colorado, you get those monsoon storms and there's thunderstorms every day starting at noon, one o'clock, two o'clock or whatever. Right. So we had to be finished and off the mountain in time for that. And we were, yeah. we were sprinting the last bit of trail just to not get struck by lightning. We barely made it in our car before right. we got hailed on. Yeah, it's down like in the, the southern part of the state, I think. So there's a bunch of them all kind of clumped together. The Collegiate mm-hmm. Peaks, was that what it was? I think we were near the Collegiate Peaks. Yeah, yeah, because they're all like all right next to each other. It's really pretty. But yeah, it's like I, my college roommate one time was said that he had a, they were up exposed above tree line and the thunderstorm came over and he could actually feel the hair standing up in his arms and, and stuff like that. You could just feel the electricity in the air. It's like, oh, that does not sound like fun. No. Yeah, no, it's not pleasant. I'll tell you what, though, but there's nothing better than from a, a safe perch watching an electrical storm like that. Like either watching electrical storms over the mountains, over the ocean. It is, it's, you know, nature's fireworks. It's, it's, it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty humbling. I have a healthy respect for the dangers of nature. <laughs> well, one of the one of the uh, the kind of to do things in in Colorado is a concert venue called Red Rocks. I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard of that. Okay. You get there if you go in Red Rocks. Essentially, the seating faces straight east. So if you're sitting there and you get a thunderstorm coming over to, of the city, you can sit up in the Red Rocks, in the Red Rocks Amphitheater, listen to whoever your favorite band is, and watch an incredible lightning show, basically straight above the stage. So that's like one of those bucket list items for folks to try to get out here. Even if it's people say, even if you don't like the band, you got to go to Red Rocks. Check it out. It is Did a really unique venue. You've been it there? Is. Yeah, I've been there. Who'd you see? Um, I've seen the string cheese incident. <laughs> nice. Anybody out there is a jam band fan. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember the last time I've been, actually. I'm getting old. <laughs> so does everybody have a favorite spot out there in nature, in the natural world, 
that uh, they like to return to or that they connect to specifically. Mine would be um, on the summit of Bear Mountain, which is the tallest peak in Connecticut, um, which is about 2,000 feet, <laughs> so <laughs> but probably below all of the state that Ted's in. How about the rest of you? What, what do you got? Mine would actually be um, in a place called Steamboat Lake, Colorado. It's like north central Colorado. It's um, Steamboat Lake is a man-made lake just north of Steamboat Springs. It's a pretty uh, well-known ski area, but uh, family has a cabin there. So you wake up in the morning, pretty look across the the, the lake, and the lake is like mirrors smooth before the skiers get out there and it's quiet and it's cool and you can see the deer jump up and around nearby and stuff like that it's just a real peaceful place to be jackie how about you i don't know I'm trying to think of what my answer would be on a day-to-day basis it would just be my yard um just yeah. you know I know we've talked about this on other like dirt therapy like working in the yard and just you know getting your hands in the dirt you know planting stuff yeah you know, just to me, we're, uh, just my yard is such a, a great combination of instant gratification and delayed gratification. Um, so kind of the more day-to-day, like grounding aspect of nature, I would say mm-hmm. just working in my yard. But a more, you know, something that's not as simple as just walking outside. Um, just, you know, my family, we go to uh, Polly's Island, South Carolina every year for the beach. Yep. And, um, you know, some people go to the beach for the actual ocean facing side of the beach. Um, but to mm-hmm. me, there's nothing more beautiful than the marsh and Polly's Island is such a narrow Island in most spots on the Island. You have the perfect view of the, of the ocean and the marsh and, um, just the, the, the life that you see on the marsh and then, the sunset over the, the, the colors that you see uh, along the South Carolina coast with a sunset are, are like nothing else. Mm. How about you, Sam? What do you got? Ooh. I will say, Jackie, that Polly's Island is definitely a special place. And just how awesome is that with all the little houses tucked into the live oaks? Mm-hmm. And I totally agree with you that the marsh views there are incredible. <laughs> um, me personally... The Chattooga River on the Georgia-South Carolina border is an easy, easy one for me. Um, I grew up camping on the banks of it as a child and learned about swimming in river currents there, fished there with my dad. And as I got older, I got into whitewater kayaking and a lot of my formative experiences in the river were on the Chattooga. Mm. I met my wife there as well. Oh, wow. Beautiful. Was your story there? Uh, we were just both camping out for an engagement party. We didn't know each other, but we both knew one half of the couple that was being engaged. And yeah, a nice night around the campfire. <laughs> That's so romantic. Meeting at an engagement party? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tori, can you top that one? No, I can't top that. But... <laughs> Locally, I would say um, Sullivan's Island because it's only about 30 minutes from my apartment. So if I just need to step away from work or go out in the afternoon, I'll take Nova out there. Um, and there's quieter parts of Sullivan. So a lot of people don't want to, 
they want easy beach access. So you have to go through like, a, it's not even a long trail, but a trail to get to the beach. And it just feels very secluded. I'll go out there and look at the stars because in Charleston, you can't see many stars unless you're yeah. out in Sullivan's. Um, you can see the bridge from Sullivan's in certain parts. And then on a day-to-day as well, there's a local county park that I love to take Nova on walks to as well. It's mm. about five minutes from my apartment, so it's an easy every day to get to go out and walk with him. Anything that involves Nova, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Which for the listeners, Nova is Tori's dog. <laughs> Labradoodle, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, he's a Labradoodle. Mm. <laughs> He'll have to make a special appearance another time. Gotcha. Okay, something for the listeners to look forward to. <laughs> well, that pretty much wraps us for this Play Hard segment, everybody. Uh, but it would not be a proper Play Hard without a crack. So if everyone will, excuse me real quick, I'll be right back. i to grab a drink, and then we can finish up. I'm drinking water. I don't have anything to crack. I can, I can do a... Uh... <laughs> so I'm looking at the weather, Ted. Your next week, the the best day for golf might be two, Monday or Tuesday. Yeah, I'm 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 judging the the effort of like bringing my clubs versus how. Because when I was talking to a friend, I'm like, if you're not playing three times, it's not worth the hassle of throwing your clubs in the plane. So I'll probably just leave them here and just do something different. So yeah, it's okay. We can find something for you to do. Yeah, I'm sure if I get bored, I can just run across the street and go throw some axes or across the hallway. Yep. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I still find funny to tell all you to drink and throw axes at the same time. But Yeah, I don't understand how that, can, that business can be insured. I, well, I, right? I, I think there was probably some drink involved when people were sitting around and, like, designing that, like, business concept. We're going to serve beer and we're going to give people axes. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> There's actually a, a, a gun indoor gun range that we go to that – has a bar attached to it Ooh, and it's like well, but, yeah well but they they have a very they're very strict i mean once you you have to use your license to get on the, the, the gun range and then you also need your license to go into the bar so if you go into the bar they scan your license you're locked out for 24 hours so you can't okay. go back to the range okay. so That's smart. you're either shooting or you're drinking you're not doing well you can do both as long as you do the shooting first and then drinking but yeah so it's i know it's just a weird concept to do that but get a crack going okay i cheated cheers, everybody cheers i'm going local I've got, uh, got some garlic dill kimchi, that, or not, uh, sauerkraut that I'm enjoying. Dude, you got to slam it now. Ooh, that's a tough slam. <laughs> <laughs> I got some high-quality H2O. <laughs> wow, okay, nice. Good stuff. All right. Well, everyone, thank you for joining us on this episode of Play Hard. If you liked it, make sure to like, subscribe. Rate us five stars if you're still listening on your uh, audio platform of choice. If you're not, get over here and watch us. You know, we put this thing together for you. You might as well check it out on YouTube. Um, Anyway, everybody, have a great Earth Day. Bye. Thank you. See y'all.